2 Timothy chapter 3, 14 to 17. It'll come up there on the screen for you. Or if you've got a church Bible, it's on page 996. I'm going to read starting at sentence 14. 2 Timothy 3, 14. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. This is the Word of God. All right. Uh, hi, guys. My name's Jacob. If I haven't met you before, it is uh, just great to be up here. Um, great to see you all here uh, at City Light this afternoon. If I haven't met you personally, hopefully I'll get a chance to do that later on. And I'm, I'm stoked to be here. I'm excited for today. Um, I've actually been looking forward to today for a long time uh, for two reasons. The first is that after a 15-year hiatus, Russell Coit's All Aussie Adventures is returning tonight, 7.30, Channel 10. Um, been waiting since I was 12 years old for this moment, so um, very, very happy about that. And, uh, and the second is that we're getting into this series, uh, The Word of God. Um, I've been looking forward to this uh, for ages. A couple of years ago, we ran a uh, course over about nine weeks uh, in the night times here at City Light. We had a bunch of people along kind of working through the story of the Bible. Um, that was great. Uh, we, uh, we loved doing that. Uh, we've been meaning to do it again since, and it hasn't happened, so now we're doing it with everyone across the two services. We've added a bunch of new stuff in as well. Um, so I'm really keen, over the next 14 weeks, it's going to be to be, um, as a church, be looking more and more deeply into the Word of God. And we're looking at this book, the Bible, which, um, if you've been on our Facebook, following our social media, you've been encouraged to have brought your own one along today. Um, if you don't have one, that's all, all right as well. There's always heaps at the back, uh, and you can bring one next week. We're looking at this book, the Bible, which, as Jez said before, um, has some pretty amazing stats behind it. Uh, it's by far the most published book ever at 5 billion copies. It has permeated uh, Western culture and increasingly other cultures in terms of literature, uh, in terms of art, music, movies, TV shows. Uh, it's a book that throughout history, countless people have died to own and still you know, in, right now in the 21st century, people are, are willing to own this book and, and almost die to get it and to, to hold it uh, in secret in, in, in many countries around the world. It's the book that the first European universities were started to, to study and to help people uh, understand and, and, and teach more of it. It's filled uh, the content of, of weddings and of funerals. It's got the Ten Commandments. It's got Jesus' great little sayings like, love thy neighbor and do unto others as you would have them do unto you. As Christians, we believe that this book is God himself, the creator of the entire universe, speaking to us. And if you're a Christian, you'd be able to say as well that this book literally has changed your life. Uh, so what we're dealing with is something that you can say some pretty amazing things about that you can't say about many other things. And yet, I think for a lot of us, our experience of the Bible is, like Jez was alluding to, a little bit less than that kind of description. I think a lot of us here who are Christians uh, can often feel like the Bible is our weird uncle, um, old uncle Bible. We know he means well, and we know that he's kind of part of the Christian family, so we've got to bring him along to our family gatherings. Uh, we know the kids love him, 
because uh, he's got lots of interesting stories and he kind of even talks about stuff that other people don't, a bit more PG than, than what they normally get. But we feel like Uncle Bible does get a little bit embarrassing when he starts talking about talking snakes and how women should stay silent and how unmarried people shouldn't have sex and there's a bunch of stuff he says about genocide. And so our hope is that Uncle Bible will just keep his mouth shut, uh, particularly when our friends are around. Um, that can be our view of the Bible, I think, a lot of the time, this kind of awkward piece of the, of the Christian faith. When it comes to reading the Bible, I think a lot of us, from talking with a lot of us, um, and knowing myself as well, we struggle with reading it. Uh, there are times in which we can feel like we don't actually really know deep down how, if it's really that good, or if we can trust it, or if it really is, in fact, the Word of God. There are times, even if we do believe that, and we, we, we wish we could kind of read it for ourselves, we can sit down and open it up and just look at these words and read them again and again and again, and nothing seems to happen for us. It's just kind of like just staring at a brick wall. There are other times that even if we start getting a little bit of the way into it, we can even kind of get our head around little chunks of the Bible. We're aware that it's a huge book with, I don't know how many pages it's got, um, a thousand or so pages, and most of those pages have stuff on them that we just don't really know what's going on. Uh, So it's a book that we struggle with for those reasons. And even then, I think a lot of us, we just aren't really clear what we're meant to do when we read it. I think people read the Bible in a bunch of different ways. So some people approach it as a bit of a rule book for life, like it's the kind of guide to help you make all of life's big decisions and kind of sort out your problems. Um, and maybe your Bible even has a little index at the back and you know, it's got alphabetical listed, just every issue from alcohol to sex to depression to work to family to whatever. And so you might be feeling a bit anxious and you go, all right, A, uh, anxiety, uh, it says Philippians 4.6, you flip over. Uh, it says, uh, don't be anxious about anything. Great, thanks, Bible. So that, that might be one approach that you kind of go down, just kind of getting a bit of advice. Um, in a lot of universities, you may have even done at the university you've studied at, if you've been to uni, taken a course on the Bible as literature. So looking at, uh, kind of reading it the same way that you'd read the Iliad by Homer as an ancient text that definitely has things to teach about ancient people and, and, and ancient literature but kind of in the same way you read other ancient literature, it's just kind of something you can look at and then kind of walk away from. Other people read the Bible kind of super, like superstitiously, almost kind of like reading a horoscope. So it's kind of like, you know, I was oh, feeling a little bit directionless at the moment, so I opened my Bible this morning, I just opened up a random page, it was Exodus chapter 2, and it's this bit where Moses' mum puts baby Moses in a basket, puts him in the River Nile, and he floats through Egypt, and I was just taking that as God telling me just to go with the flow and maybe even ask out that Egyptian guy at work. Um, so that kind of direction, just kind of looking at it, just kind of like the words can mean anything that they want uh, for your life. And I think others of us, we just don't read the Bible at all. Um, maybe we never have in our entire life. Maybe that's you and you're just here visiting church and you've, you don't own a Bible. You've never really kind of looked at one. Um, you haven't grown up in a, in, a, in a home where the Bible is something that people talk about. And so you don't really know anything about it at all. And I'll say that's okay as well. We, we love that you're here looking at this stuff with us. So all of that said, I just think it's pretty clear that in a, in a room this big, with all of us in their different kind of upbringings and understandings, there is a lot of confusion about the Bible. Uh, and we've kind of felt that. And so, as Jez was saying, this series for 14 weeks is designed to start just trying to make clear uh, a book which is so often just confusing and hard to understand. We're going to be doing a bunch of things over the next 14 weeks that hopefully week by week 
will better equip us to understand the Bible and to actually read it for ourselves and to do it in a way that makes sense, that's, that's enjoyable, that's life-giving, and that's transforming. Um, so before we can do that, though, and seeing as we are going to be in it for a, quite a long time, uh, what we're going to be doing today is kind of your, your kind of big picture, you know, bird's-eye view of the Bible, touching on a bunch of different issues that we're going to be kind of then unpacking over the next 14 weeks. Um, so we're trying to get a sense of what is the Bible. That's the basic question we're looking at today. What even is this book? We're starting real simple. So I just want to pray now as we start unpacking that question that God would be at work in us, that we might actually have eyes to understand and see uh, the, the amazing glory of this book, but even more just we'd be able to get our heads around it and understand what it is. So please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we just know that uh, we are, we're coming to a topic that for many of us is a, is a challenging one and a, a difficult one, um, knowing that many of us here, we, we long to know you more deeply. We want to know more of who you are. We want to be people who are in your word. We want to be people that, that, that love you and, and hear from you daily. Uh, and yet we, we can have just so many questions and, and, uh, and confusions around this book. We just pray that being the good God that you are, that you would be over, over today, uh, but really over the next few months, be, be building us up as a church that has a solid foundation in who you are, on how it is that you communicate with us, and how it is that we can actually go deeper into relationship with you. Uh, we pray that even now that you would be giving us eyes to see and understand uh, what this book, the Bible, is that you've given to us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So when you get straight into this, we're asking the question, what is the Bible? And I'm completely ripping off an answer to that question from a bunch of guys from Portland. They run a group called The Bible Project, and they define the Bible like this. This is going to come up on the screen. They say, the Bible is a library of divine and human writings that tell a unified story that points to Jesus. And the more I've thought about it, I just love this definition. I think it's filled with just so much truth. And what I want to do today is actually just kind of work our way bit by bit through this definition of what is the Bible. So we're going to get straight into it. And the first thing we've got there, the first thing to say about the Bible is that the Bible is a library. Now, I think we are more commonly, we think of the Bible as a book. And that's kind of obvious because the form in which we see it most is, is, is a book. Um, I reckon if you ask the next generation, what is the Bible, they're probably likely to say that the Bible is an app which is actually just as true as saying the Bible is a book. Both a book and an app are a a way of holding something together that is neither of those things. The book wasn't invented, I'm pretty sure, till about 400 AD in the sense of having a bunch of pages side by side with something holding them together in a cover. Before that, the way that literature was stored was in scrolls. So I've got a picture here up on the screen. This is obviously a recent picture, but this uh, this is the Old Testament. So what we have in the majority of our Bible to about that point is contained uh, in those scrolls. They're probably written in Hebrew, we've got it in English. But it's just to say that for the first 400 years of the Bible's existence, it, was more, it looks more like that than, than it did a book. Uh, it was a collection of scrolls put together uh, that together was what people conceived of as, as, as the scriptures or the religious text. Um, now I've got another slide that's going to come up in a second. Here we have what you would find, if you open up your Bible, if you've got one, you can actually do this, you to your contents page, which is a super helpful page of the Bible. Um, 
which, which has listed all the different books. Now, these aren't just like chapters in a normal kind of book. They're actual books, which is why I've got this. This is the least kiddie version of a picture like this that I could find on the internet. Um, but I think this is actually really helpful, this, this image I've got on my screen. That's the, the same books in the same order that you'll find on the contents page of your Bible. It helps us get a sense to, to how the Bible is actually broken up. Um, you've got your two main divides, which is the Old Testament and the New Testament. Your Old Testament is uh, 49 books, which are the same books that the Jewish people have in their Bible today, the Tanakh. Uh, it's, it's 49 books divided into a few sections. Um, we've got the first five books, which are down there as law, uh, which actually even sort of flow into the next section of the purple books, which is history. So from really Genesis, which is the first book of the Bible, down to Esther, you've got this kind of long period of law, but also history. Uh, it tells one story. If you start reading at the start of Genesis and keep reading all the way to the end of Esther, you're going to be reading one long story in chronological order, mostly detailing the history of the people of Israel. You've then got uh, another section, uh, which is down as poetry. It's a few books that are clumped together. That Some of them are kind of songs. Some of them are kind of wise little sayings. The book of Job, which we've been looking at recently, is in there. This kind of story that doesn't fit into the history, uh, and it's more... Uh, a kind of, yeah, poetic experience reading through it than, than a historical narrative. You've then got, in the Old Testament, a bunch of books that are described here as major prophets, minor prophets, um, but they're just all prophets. And these are, are books about people that God appointed in different times of history uh, to actually speak to the people of Israel. So these ones aren't in chronological order. They actually kind of fit into different points of the history books above, but they're in the way that we've got it in our Bibles, clumped together as a group. Then you've got your New Testament. So that's mostly written in Hebrew in the original. Your New Testament is very different, all written uh, in roughly 70 years from 30 AD through to 100 AD, written in Greek after Jesus' life and death, uh, really all about him. You've got four Gospels, which are kind of, again, sort of history, telling the narrative story of Jesus' life and death and resurrection. You've got a book, the book of Acts, which tells the history of the early church uh, beyond the time of Jesus. You've got a bunch of books which are letters written to people or to churches. And at the very end, you've got this standalone book, Revelation, which is this kind of crazy vision prophecy thing that we're not going to get to until week 14, so stick around for that. Now, for a lot of you, this is kind of old news. For some of you, this might be the first time you're hearing it. But I think this is really important. It's one of the most simple things you can say about the Bible, just that it's not one thing. It's a collection of 66 different pieces of writing. But it also is one of the most significant things for how it is that we approach and read the Bible. Um, which is to say that when you've got a library, you don't approach every single book in the same way. I've got three books on the go at the moment at home. Uh, one of them I'm reading real slowly, just piece by piece. I've probably been it for months. It's called The Explorers. It's a collection of journal entries from Australian colonial era explorers like Captain Cook and Burke and Wills, uh, that kind of thing. I'm reading a, a novel. It's called Cat's Cradle by Kurt Van Gutt, which is written and set during the Cold War about a scientist that developed a way to freeze the whole world. Very interesting. I haven't finished it yet. Don't know what happens. And I'm also reading uh, through a mechanics manual for a 1981 XT250 motorbike because I'm trying to fix one at the moment. Now, I say that just because it's kind of really obvious that I don't read those three books in the same way. Uh, the, the book on Australian explorers is written as history. The reason that they wrote down their journals and they've been collected 
is so that people that weren't there exploring Australia in the 1700s could actually get a sense of what it was like back then. And it's fascinating to see uh, what Australia was like in those days. Um, if I read my novel on the scientists freezing the world in the Cold War as, as in the same way, trying to learn what happened during the Cold War, I'd be just hugely misinformed and I'd be misreading the book. Um, he does have a purpose in it, though, which is to examine the, the risks of kind of the rate of technological advancement. The workshop manual, again, that's, that is not that fun to read. Um, it's not, I would say, it's not fun at all to read. But, um, but it's got a purpose, which for me, with what I'm doing, is like super helpful, but for a lot of you, it probably would be a waste of time even looking at it. Now, I say that because with the 66 books of the Bible, you've got just a, a, diver, a diverse collection of texts put together that demand that we read them differently. So you read law, do this, don't do that, if this happens, do this, differently than you read the lyrics to a song uh, kind of thanking God for who he is. You read parts of history different to the way that you would read kind of visions, things people are kind of seeing in their head that haven't happened in real time and space. And if you mix it up, you, you make pretty big mistakes with how you look at the Bible. So if you read in uh, the book of Genesis that Abraham had multiple wives, and you read that as like an instruction or a law, you'll say the Bible says that having multiple wives is good. But, but it's not. It's just saying that Abraham had multiple wives. Um, if you read the book of Revelation, where Jesus is described as having seven eyes and seven horns, in the same way that you read in uh, one of the, the Gospels that he was asleep on the boat, you're going to conclude that Jesus was some kind of monster. Uh, a big one would be, if you read ancient Near Eastern history, which a huge part of the Old Testament is, in the same way that you would try to read modern historical journalism, you'll be constantly dissatisfied with what they include and what they leave out. So whenever we read something in the Bible, the first thing to say is that the, one of the questions we need to ask is, what kind of literature is this? Uh, and as we start to move through the story of the Bible over, over many weeks, we're going to be asking that question again and again. What kind of literature are we reading? So in a few weeks' time, as an example, when we get to the very start of the Bible uh, with creation and Adam and Eve, uh, and we, we, we see this account of the world being made in, in seven days, the question that, and even after I gave the talk this morning, everyone came and asked me this, the question we're going to want to ask is, is it true or did, did this happen or did it not happen? Did it happen like this or didn't it? We might even phrase the question, you know, is this literal or is this not literal? Is it kind of figurative? That's the question we, we want to run to when we read the story of creation. But I, I would push back and say, that before you even can get to that, and they're, they're good questions to wrestle with, you need to spend time asking the question, what kind of literature is the book that you're reading? What, what, what kind of form is the author taking? How does the author that wrote this want you to take it? What kind of thing is he trying to communicate? And we need, to, we need to do the work there before we can then answer these secondary questions. So we're going to be coming back to this point a lot over the next 14 weeks of, of what kind of literature is this as we look at the Bible, which is a library. So that's the first part of our definition. The Bible is a library. The second one is the Bible is a library of divine and human writings. When we come to the Bible, we come to a tension that we need to hold of what it claims about itself, which is that it has both a divine or a, a from God authorship and a human authorship, which isn't saying that part of the Bible is from God and, and, and part of the Bible is written by people and our job is to kind of sort through it and try to list all, these are the bits where God's been involved and this is God speaking, but these are the bits where it's just kind of human and we can cut those out. It's 
not saying that. It's saying that every single part of the Bible has as its author both God and people at the same time, which is a hard tension to hold, uh, and it's, it can be confusing and, and, and challenging. But this is what the Bible says about itself. So in the verse that Jez read before in 2 Timothy, it'll come on the screen, uh, Paul writes to Timothy, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. That is a key verse. Uh, it's one you might be familiar with if you've been around church for a while. Um, and it's key because it just says it clear as day that all scripture, and this word scripture was the way at the time of referring to the Old Testament, so most of the Bible, because um, that, that was already compiled in the way that it is before Paul was writing. But we also know that the early church considered the writing of the apostles, so all the writings that make up the New Testament, even at that time, as being on par with the Old Testament. So this is Paul saying, all scripture, all of the Bible as we have it today, is breathed out by God. And this word that we've got for breathed out is a word that's often you know, translated inspired, this sense of um, it's God kind of filling it with, with breath and with life. So it's saying that, that all of the Bible has God behind it, is basically what this verse is saying. It's, it's super clear. Another passage uh, that, that's a, a pretty key one in getting a head around this is 2 Peter chapter 1. Uh, in verse 20, uh, he writes, Knowing this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Now, that's, about as, that's pretty straightforward. Nothing in the Bible is completely straightforward when we're thinking what does it mean to be carried along by the Holy Spirit. But as simple as it gets, it's, it's saying that the way that the Bible came about wasn't these prophets just thinking up crazy things and putting them down, but that God himself, by the Holy Spirit, was at work deep inside them to bring about the end result that we have with the Bible today. Now, I just want to stop and say, like, before we take this for granted, um, that this is, this is a major claim. Uh, it's it's an it's a earth-shattering claim that God would actually speak to people. The, the, the conception of God that we have as Christians is that God is a speaking God. That God speaks to us in intelligible language. And this is the claim that the Bible makes the whole way through. We've just touched on two points there, but again and again and again, there's accounts of God speaking directly to people. There's accounts of God speaking through people. So in, in the ESV, the version that we use here at church, the phrase, thus says the Lord, occurs 417 times. And the phrase, declares the Lord, happens 358 times. Um, so God is speaking, and God is even speaking through what people record, even in the, in the times of narrative and story. So we've got an example of that in Exodus 17, 14. Uh, it's not on the screen, I'll just read it. Uh, it says, The Lord said to Moses, Write this on a scroll as something to be remembered and make sure that Joshua hears it because I'll completely blot out the name of Amalek from under heaven. Now, don't worry about who Amalek was. But what we've got going there is just one of many examples of God saying, the words I'm going to give you, write them down because that's going to be as good as me speaking directly to people. So what we have in the Bible is this reality, this claim that it makes for itself that God is speaking through it. And at the same time, though, as we have to hold into that reality... We're also told by the Bible again and again that it's written by people. That every single part of the Bible is written at some point originally by a person, either recounting what they saw, uh, recounting what God said to them, 
recounting what God said to them through someone else um, or recounting what Jesus said or something like that. So every time you read the Bible, at the same time as you are reading God's word, you are also reading the words of Moses or Isaiah or Paul or John. Now this is, this is actually significant because what that means is the Bible wasn't just kind of dropped down from heaven on golden tablets or something like that. Uh, it's not this otherworldly piece of writing that has no signs in it of kind of human authorship. That's what Mormons would say that their book is. It's this kind of divine book that just kind of appeared out of nowhere. Um, it's what Muhammad says the Quran was. It's the just direct kind of words of God without kind of any human influence in it whatsoever. But that's not what the Bible claims to be. So if you've read any of Paul's letters in the New Testament, you know that he starts his letters normally by saying, like, I, Paul, to the church in Corinth, or whoever he's writing to. He doesn't start, um, I, God. He starts, I, Paul. Uh, Luke, even in his gospel and in his follow-up, in the gospel of Luke and in, in the book of Acts, explains that he's writing even that as a letter to a guy called Theophilus to kind of help him understand what Luke has seen. They're not hiding the fact that they're writing these books with purposes and intentions. Um, and it's not as well, like, I think I grew up kind of with this sort of, in the back of my head, this idea that, yeah, people wrote the Bible, but God must have kind of, you know, possessed them in a sense, and their, like, eyes rolled back in their head, and they were just kind of sitting there using their fingers to write down. And, but, like, they kind of, it wasn't really them, it was just kind of God using them. But, but that's not what it is. There's just constant signs of just personality throughout the Bible. In one of Paul's letters, he just randomly, to Timothy, he just randomly says, hey, Timothy, I left a coat at your place. Please bring it with you. It's kind of like you're just kind of watching a text message between friends at that point. If you read any, any of the Gospels, the four accounts of Jesus' life, they all read differently because there's elements of the writer's personality in them. Matthew is way more Jewish because Matthew was, must have been a bigger Jew. I, I don't know. Actually, I don't, I don't know where I was going with that. But... Uh, but but, but Luke, for example, he's, he writes meticulously, he's, he's clear, he's historical, and I feel like I can relate to the book of Luke differently than, than John, which in my opinion is a bit kind of wafty and full of repetition and imagery. Other people like that. But it's because Luke and John were, were different, and, and that comes through in their writing. Um, you, you, you might find that you resonate with, with Solomon's writings. He writes a few books in the Old Testament that are kind of these, you know, reflective, observant, just interesting kind of observations on the way that life works, which is different to, to, to David's Psalms, for example. So what we have in the Bible is, is people writing. And this is why they use illustrations that make sense to them, sometimes more than us, is way more about sheep and farms in the Bible than there is about like computers, because it was written in a time. It was written at a certain point in history. It was written in the context of a worldview that there are these references in the Bible to things that were going along in the going on in the Babylonian or Egyptian empires that we don't resonate with as much because we're not familiar with Babylonian mythology or anything like that. But the Bible was written by people that lived in that time. Now this has implications for the way that we read the Bible, and I think kind of major ones. Um, I think maybe you've, you've met even or grown up in a house or I don't know, but we, we, we've witnessed the, the fundamentalist conservative side, which I think can underemphasize the human side of the Bible. And they might say that in terms of, look, it's all God's word, don't ask questions, um, just take it as it is, like 
what are you doing? You're doubting God's word if you're asking questions. Kind of that kind of, that's the extreme. But, but this idea that because it is God's word, you can't even think about kind of what kind of human influence would have been in it. And that might even look like a richer understanding of the Bible because it's like, oh, they really take the Bible seriously. But I actually think that's a poorer way to look at the Bible because it's ignoring the means that God has actually chosen to reveal himself to us. God could have revealed himself on, you know, golden tablets that fell from heaven, but he reveals himself through words to people and through people, which means that we can ask questions of the Bible. Um, we can be, read something and be like, that was really weird, I wonder why. And we can go and research and hop on the internet or pick up a book and, and study what is actually going on in parts of the Bible that don't make sense to us. That we want to be a church that, that asks questions. If we see something that is in stark contrast to what we might understand about science, we don't just ignore it and put our heads in the sand. We, we look into it, we ask questions, we study, we, we think, and we're encouraged to do that. But at the same time as that being true, you've got to not fall off the kind of other end of things, which is the, you know, the, the more kind of liberal side, which is, oh, look, you know, yeah, there's some things that are true about God in there, like that is love, but most of the Bible, like, it's just, it's just so steeped in context and kind of culture that it's just a bunch of people's writings and you don't have to take it that seriously. No, we've got to push back on that as well because God is behind every word, every phrase of the Bible. The Bible is God revealing himself to us and so we don't read it kind of proudly, like sitting over it like we would any other text, but humbly, knowing that if this is how God has chosen to reveal himself, we need to listen. When God speaks, we listen. We need to hold these realities together, that, that God is the author of the Bible, and yet he's used people, and that people are the author of the Bible. And I think we've actually got a, a template for that, if, that's kind of, if you're struggling to kind of wrap your head around how those things work. And I think the template is in the person of Jesus. Jesus, confusingly, is both fully God and fully people. Not people, person, human. Um, He's all of God without being any less of a human. And he's all of human without being any less of God. If you'd seen Jesus, if you were alive in Israel 2,000 years ago and, and were lucky enough to go and see Jesus, you would have concluded that he was a person. He didn't walk around with a glow or a kind of halo. Uh, there, there's no reason to think that you'd have been able to kind of pick him out from a crowd. He probably just looked just like everyone else. And yet, despite that, people who met him concluded that he, was, he must be something more, that he couldn't just be a, a normal person because he had these marks that were just otherworldly. The way that he fulfilled prophecy, the way that he taught as someone that just knew absolutely everything, the way that he did miracles and the way that he rose from the dead show that even though he was a human and fully human, he was also fully God. I think over this series, my hope is that you'll see the same issue of the Bible, that that you might read it and feel like it's just another book, and you'd see that it is, and there's a lot of similarities to, to other things that you might read, and yet as we study it, that you would see that there are marks in the Bible that show it is so, so much more, that it has the very marks of God in it and his glory showing through it. And my hope is that over the next 14 weeks we'll see that. So we're up to in our definition. We've got a library of divine and human writings. And the purpose of these writings is to tell a unified story. The reason that we've got this collection of 66 books isn't just because they just happen to be the ones that got hobbled together at different points in history. It's because they fit together and tell one story. 
So it's not like if you go back to your DVD days and you might have your kind of family DVD collection and you've got like Bambi, The Matrix, James Bond, Pride and Prejudice, just kind of random things that just like happen to be together on a bookshelf just by chance. Um, it's more like, the Bible's more like your Lord of the Rings kind of box set. It, it goes together. Uh, and if you're kind of missing a piece of it, you get a bit devastated that you've kind of ruined your box set. Um, the Bible, despite being written at different times by different authors who themselves would have had no idea how this would have all fit together, is actually a unified story because of the way that God has been working through it. Um, it's, and it's not even just they're similar themed or they're all about gods, that's why together. It's an, it's an actual story. It has progression, it has development. And there are definitely parts of the Bible that make sense on their own, but every single part of the Bible works together for the one great story. Um, and I think this is helpful as we encounter apparent contradictions in the Bible. Um, when people say that the Bible has contradictions, um, I think a lot of those, when people say them, are removed when you read the Bible as a story. So that someone might say, you know, Jesus says, love your neighbor and forgive, but the Old Testament says, stone people that commit adultery. Um, so, therefore, your Bible's contradictory, can't be real, or, or something. And, and I would say, it, no, the, it's true that the Bible says both of those things, that Jesus does say, love your neighbor, and he does say, forgive people, and the Old Testament does say, stone people that commit adultery. But, the point is that they happen at very different points in the story. So the instruction to stone adulterers occurs at a time when Israel is being set up as a political state under a, you know, a local government designed to reflect to surrounding nations that these people in particular upheld holiness in a way that nobody else did. Whereas when Jesus comes, he comes uh, in, a, in a time when, when Israel is actually subject to, to other rulers at that point anyway. But Jesus comes along and he says that... Yes, it's true that adultery is a sin, but the reality is if anyone has even looked at someone lustfully, then you're an adulterer and, and deserving of death. But don't pick up stones and start killing each other because I came to die for you that, that you wouldn't have to die for your sin. They're, they're both in there, but they're very different parts in the story. And we definitely resonate more with the Jesus one because that's actually the part of the story we're in. But what's going on in other parts is a different part of the story. So if you're watching Star Wars, um, you might have the question like, is Anakin Skywalker good or bad? And in the first three movies, episodes one, two, and three, this is getting a bit nerdy, but it, <laughs> Anakin Skywalker, he's a Jedi, he's good. Episodes four, five, and six, he's Darth Vader. Now you wouldn't look at that and say, spoiler, look, <laughs> you're 40 years too late. You, but you, you, you don't look at that and be like, oh, George Lucas, what a contradiction. Is he good or he's bad? Make up your mind. No, you say, oh, it's a great story. I think it's a great story. And things change. And, and I think the problem for, for many of us is we often struggle to really see how this story fits together. And so we're going to be working at that understanding that the Bible is a story. Which brings us to the end of our definition. The Bible is a library of divine and human writings that tell a unified story that points to Jesus. I think this is the biggest thing that we need to get. As we think about what the Bible is, we need to understand that the reason it is valuable, the reason that it is a treasure, the reason that we love it, the reason that we study it, is to find Jesus. Jesus makes the claim that the entire Bible exists to point to him. In Luke 24, verse 27, which will be on the screen, uh, it, it reads, Beginning with Moses and all the prophets, Jesus interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. 
going back to how the Old Testament was structured when we looked at that slide a while ago, the first five books of the law were often attributed to Moses and were considered the books of Moses. The final books in the Old Testament were, were described as uh, the prophets. And Jesus is saying that he uses the whole of the Old Testament to point to him. The New Testament, that's obvious, it's definitely about Jesus, written after him, written about him. So what Jesus is saying is that the whole Bible is about him. And if you miss Jesus, you miss the point. If you walk away from studying the Bible, feeling more knowledgeable or interested or enlightened or educated or helped, but you don't know more of Jesus, then you've missed the point of what it's there for. I want to show you one more verse from John chapter 5, verse 39. This is Jesus speaking to some experts in the Bible. Uh, there's some Jewish leaders at the time. And he says, You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is that they bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. Jesus again is saying, It is possible to be someone who knows the Bible well and to even love the Bible and want to read it every single day of your life and yet miss the point, which is him. It's relationship with him. It's the offer that he makes in the pages of the Bible to have eternal life. This is what makes the Bible worth reading. Not because it's a guide to life, not because it's just interesting, or, uh, but because it takes you to a knowledge of Jesus that is life-giving. What we're going to see again and again as we study the Bible is that we are messed up. We are broken. We are alone. We're sinful. We've rejected God. We've rebelled against him. We're, we're hopeless to, to, to prevent our own deaths. We're destined to die. The world around us is falling apart. It's a mess. Evil is prevalent. Suffering is everywhere. And the Bible is going to say that Jesus is the only answer. The only answer to all of that. It's going to say that he died 2,000 years ago in our place so that we don't have to. That instead of dying, we can be loved and welcomed into a relationship with God for eternity. That is what the story of the Bible is about. That we are hopeless without Jesus. And yet an answer, a solution is there. There is an offer of forgiveness, there is an offer of salvation. So as we study the Bible, that's not where we stop. We're not, we're not doing this to, to become bigger Bible nerds, to know the Bible more. The Bible is more like a window that allows you to look out into an even greater reality. The Bible exists that you might see Jesus more clearly. This is, which is why we, we worship Jesus. We sing songs about Jesus. We don't, we don't sing songs about the Bible. We can and do a little bit, but, but we, don't, we don't worship the Bible. Um, the Bible can't give you eternal life but Jesus can. The Bible isn't alive, but Jesus is. The Bible doesn't love you, but Jesus loves you, even though he knows the depths of just how evil and messed up and broken you are. The Bible can't forgive you for your brokenness, but Jesus can because he suffered in your place. Now, I'm not saying that to, to downplay the Bible because we're going to be in the Bible for 14 weeks looking at it, but I want you to see this is why. It's not just to gain more knowledge. We need to understand how the Bible works and how to read it so we can look through it to see the glory of Jesus Christ. And that's our hope for this series. So if there's anything I want you to take from today, whether you're someone here who has kind of grown up in a, in a family where you've been looking at the Bible your whole life, is that it is still worth giving consideration to this because the more you know of the Bible and the better equipped you are to read it, the more you're going to be able to see and know of Jesus 
himself. Now, if you're someone here, though, who is, who is here because you've still got questions and you're trying to figure things out, then again, I want to say to you that it is worth making the effort to, to try to wrap your head around this book and know how to use it. Because there is nowhere else you'll find rest. There is nowhere else you'll find hope. There is nowhere else you'll find love like that is offered in the person of Jesus Christ. So that's what we're dealing with. That's what the Bible is. It's a library of divine and human writings that tell a unified story that point to Jesus. Now we're going to be going, that's the kind of surface of it. We're going to be going just deeper and deeper over 14 weeks. And my encouragement to you would be as we kind of embark in this journey uh, to, to be willing to put the effort in to dig deeper into the Bible than you ever have before. And it, it will take effort. It will take, it'll take work. It will take thought to, to actually grow in our understanding of the Bible. A, a little bit of just where we're heading with this. Um, next week, we're going to be looking more at the question, how do we know that the Bible's true? That's the, that's the question for next week. So if that's something you've, you, you're wondering and you're trying to work out, well, that's all well and good to say that it's God's Word, but, but how do you know? That's what we're going to be trying to tackle next Sunday. Then for three weeks after that, we're going to do um, skills on actually how we read the Bible in a way that's going to be life-giving. So, uh, so Gad's going to be speaking on, on how to read the Bible prayerfully and relationally. And Jez is going to be getting up speaking on how to read the Bible rationally and logically using our minds. And Gav's going to be getting up again and, and speaking on how to read the Bible transformatively and, and obediently, letting it affect all of our lives, not just here on a Sunday. Then after that, we're going to have nine weeks working our way basically through this timeline, which you can come look at and you'll have a copy of it as well, of how the entire Bible fits together um, from, from creation until Jesus returns. That's what we're going to be looking at. Uh, and over that time, if you, if you really want to dig deep into this, I, w- I would encourage you to, to, as Jez said, grab one of these daily reading books at the back. Um, there are 70 days of readings, uh, and it covers a, a huge chunk of the Bible in chronological order, so you can get a sense of the story, dipping into parts of law, parts of narrative, uh, songs, wisdom, accounts of Jesus' life, some of the New Testament letters, uh, the whole range of, of types of literature in the Bible. Um, in reading through about a chapter a day, give or take a little bit, um, as an opportunity for 70 days to be actually just immersing yourself in this book and, and understanding how it fits together. There's a bunch of resources at the front as well to help you understand what it is that you're reading. Um, if you wait a week to start, next Monday, Ebony Birchall, who has a Facebook group with daily readings, will be adding questions for that every single day of the week to, again, help you get deeper into those things. Um, that... I, in putting this together, I, I've, just, I, I've loved doing it, and I've just been reminded that as you study the Bible and actually just read what's there, you encounter God. And that by, by just opening up yourself to, to read His Word, you, you, allow, you allow Him to speak to you, which is amazing. You allow Him to, to show you what He's done in this world and how it is again and again. And you, even as we read through 50 days of the Old Testament before we even get to the New that Jesus is just shown as the only answer. So I'd encourage you to grab one of these from the back a bit later on. So I'm just going to pray now um, that as we, as we go down this journey, that God would be more and more showing us who Jesus is, that we would actually walk away from this, not just a more knowledgeable church, but a church just more captivated by the wonder of who Jesus is. So pray with me. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for your word and, and just how amazing it is and how, and how wonderful it is. 
but we also just pray knowing that we are limited in our understanding. We don't always have eyes to see or ears to hear uh, what you would have to say to us. And so we just ask that you would be helping us, um, that you would be helping those of us who may be not really that excited about reading the Bible or have tried and tried and tried and given up, um, who just don't really want to, that you'd be helping us just, just be willing to and want to enough just to, just to get started and just to trust that you'll, you'll teach us. Lord, I pray for, for those who are here who have never read your word, um, that you would help them with the, with, as they come along to church and read for themselves, that you would be helping them understand just the, the riches of your word. And we pray for those here today as well who are, uh, who are struggling and, and, and doubting and who just aren't really convinced of this at all. I pray that you would be, be helping, helping them, helping us know you deeply. We just are in desperate need for you to show yourself to us because without you, we can see nothing. And so we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Guys, take a minute. You might want to continue just praying on your own uh, or thinking through how it is you might make the most of this series. Um, So as you get, continue to uh, pray and reflect for a minute. Then Jez will come up and, and let you know what's happening next.